I hate breaking up a party, so I mean, just, I, I actually love seeing the fellowship of believers uh, come in in the morning and, and greet each other. So I said, I, that's awesome. You guys are amazing. And uh, the, the plug on Adam is true. Um, I've actually known the foxes since they were like really, really little. Um, actually, Adam and Andy's dad was my Royal Ranger leader. It's kind of like a Christian Boy Scout, if, if you've heard of that. So I go way back with the foxes, and believe me, Adam is an amazing guy. Um, you'll, you'll, I think you'll grow to love him. Um, so let me, uh, this is kind of like a first date, so let me try to introduce myself a little bit. Um, yeah, my name is Tony Darmanin. Um, you can pronounce it any way you want. The, the, my last name is Maltese. My dad is from a little Mediterranean island where the Apostle Paul got shipwrecked. So really, there's not many of us, so you won't offend us if you call my name whatever you want. Um, I came to Whatcom County via Melbourne, Australia um, when I was, uh, I had my seventh birthday out here. And, you know, the Lord moved us as a family, um, and I believe it was so I could meet my beautiful bride here, Christine. And uh, her family's a, a Ferndale, like, staple. They've been here for about 100 years, is that right? So, yeah, so I came all the way out there from that. Uh, I did get my degree in ministry from Northwest, now University, um, and I've spent 30-some-odd years doing youth ministry and uh, men's ministry and a few other things as well, but um, I just love working with youth. It's, it's just, there's something about the energy and excitement that they bring that is just really addicting, <laughs> and just to see them get a hold of Jesus and run with it. Now, I say that to um, kind of intro today's message because I had a message prepared. I, I really felt the Lord put something on my heart. And then we went to summer camp. And 450 students cramped into a room about this size in 90-degree uh, weather. <laughs> yeah. And I tell you, we couldn't break them away from worship. They were at the stage. They were the only time in my life I've ever seen this the students were chanting to the worship team one more song when they had free time. It was like, this was done. We were done. And it's like now they were like, no, give us more. We want more of Jesus. So that was really exciting. And one of the things they had asked me to do at the summer camp was at the nighttime to, to do security. Because um, in my past, I've, I've worked security in a number of jobs. And so they asked me from 11 p.m., to about 2.30 a.m. If I could just patrol the campground, make sure kids aren't getting out of their cabins or people aren't trying to break into cars or whatever. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And <laughs> I, I would pick a few volunteers, or voluntolds, if you will, um, <laughs> other youth pastors in there to, to w walk with me and work with me. And the first night that I'm walking on patrol, I'm walking with this other youth pastor, a guy named Andre, and he's kind of just sharing his heart and his burdens with me and, and some, some troubles that he was going through. And all of a sudden, this message that I had prepared was, I believe, exactly what he needed to hear. So I started sharing with him uh, the points of my message. And, and we ended up praying, and God was there, and it was amazing. And then I was like, oh, maybe that's why God put that on my heart to share that message with Andre and not with you. So I was like, 
well, yeah, that would kind of feel like sloppy seconds if I gave you <laughs> another message that, you know, was probably for someone else. So I was like, okay, Lord, I want to stay open to your will. So if you've got something else for Christ the King Ferndale, let me know what it is. So 2.30 in the morning, I head back to the cabin because I'm sleeping in a room full of eight junior high boys. Yeah. <laughs> Side note. A couple years ago, I got COVID and lost my sense of taste and smell, and they really haven't come back. There are a few times that I've been grateful, and that cabin was one of them. Anyway, I, I get into my, my bunk at 2.30 in the morning, go to sleep. At 5 o'clock in the morning, from somewhere, and I can't determine where, I hear the iPhone alarm go off. You know, the one that just kind of keeps rolling and rolling and I'm like guys turn off the alarm they're just snoring no words I'm like and it's not like it just goes for a minute and then someone hits snooze no the person who had this alarm set let it go and let it roll 15 minutes and I'm like that's it I'm up so 5:15, I get up take a shower I go do some devotions and start the day every day of this camp get into bed at 2.30 5 a.m. I'm pounding on the wall thinking it's the room next to me I go to the cabin behind me where the high schoolers are I can't find this alarm I don't know where it's coming from but whoever has set this alarm has become so used to hitting snooze or just completely ignoring it that they are completely unaware and unbothered by it. And I was like, Lord Jesus, I need more than two hours of sleep. So I was getting pretty desperate by the end of the camp. But in those moments, I was like, Lord, speak to me. Something is happening here. <laughs> what, what's going on? And so I believe that experience kind of led me to this message. So this morning, I'm going to speak on the strong man, Judge Samson. Story I think most of us are probably pretty familiar with, but I'd like to bring out some insights maybe and some details that maybe we've missed or not really even thought about. So with that, uh, if you just pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this congregation of believers whose hearts are desperate for more of you. Lord, I ask that you would open your word to our ears this morning, that you would illuminate your truth that you would help me get out of the way and let your word speak. So with that, Lord Jesus, we pray in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. So the book of Judges um, is rife with stories of Israel coming into the promised land, but now having to establish and keep the land. And God had told them, drive out the people who are there. Otherwise, they'll lead you into temptation and sin. So what do we see in the book of Judges? We see Israel kind of drive some of the people away, but eh, that's a lot of work. And, you know, we've got enough room for our sheep and our houses, so, eh, you know, Sumas, we're not going to really go all the way, muster an army and go out to Sumas to drive it, but we can just leave those people out there, right? Okay, so it wasn't actually Sumas, I'm just saying, but just as an example, right? So in the book of Judges, we, we find out that Israel gets tempted by the gods of these other people that they haven't driven out. And then that temptation leads to sin 
And then the nation sins and does what's right in their own eyes, and they sin before God. And so God lets them go into captivity from the Philistines and the Moabites and the Mosquito Bites and all the other bites in, in, in the Bible. And they cry out for redemption. They cry out, Lord, we're sorry. We realize now, because of this punishment, that your word's true, what you said. Like, okay, bring us a deliverer. So God, in his faithfulness, brings them a deliverer, a judge, and they drive out the enemy. And while that judge is alive and ruling Israel, the nation does great, and they serve and follow God. And then the judge dies. And then they kind of start, well, you know, Nooksack, that, that's not really Sumash. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll just see what they're doing over there. And the pattern repeats. They get tempted by the culture, by the religion, by the people, by whatever means, and they start following after other gods. They do evil in the eyes of the Lord, and God brings them into captivity. And then they cry out, Lord, we're sorry, forgive us, bring us a deliverer, and God is faithful and brings them a deliverer. And while that judge is alive, all's good. They follow after the Lord. And then that judge dies. And it's an ugly cycle. It just repeats. Except for in Judges chapter 13 where we come across the story of Samson. Now, part of the story is still the same in that when the Israelites had done evil and God brought them into captivity. But this story of Samson is different because the people don't cry out to God. The people haven't repented. And the people haven't prayed for a deliverer. That struck me. It's like, wow. We're going to see some things that parallel Samson's life with the nation of Israel that actually I think can be even projected maybe on our culture and our universal church. So, as I said, it's a familiar story, but I think we've missed some details. So, first of all, the Israelites got comfortable with their culture. They got comfortable being like everybody else. And in doing so, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So, God sends an angel to a man or a woman, actually, his wife. Um, the man's name is Manoah. We don't actually know Samson's mother's name, just his wife. I think that's kind of mean. But anyway, this angel comes down to Manoah's wife and, and says, hey, God is going to bring a judge, a leader, a ruler of Israel that will start, start the freedom of your people. But this man will be different. See, right now, you're barren. You don't have children. Here's another side note. She's not the only woman in the Bible who we read about that's not being able to have children who's visited by an angel. But these other women that we've read about have also cried out to God. God, hear me. Bring me a child, and I'll dedicate him to you for life. 
Now, we don't know if Noah's wife had done that, but it's not mentioned. And I find that interesting. Because like the nation of Israel, who had not cried out for a deliverer, we don't see his wife crying out, Lord, bring me a son. Now, culturally, she probably did want a son because that's your, <laughs> that's your retirement. Basically, when you get too old to work, your kids take care of you in this culture. It's also a way of uh, national pride of, of populating the nation. I mean, you need to have children. So it was probably on her heart to have a child, but we don't have any record of her praying to God for a child. That struck me. Anyway, the angel says, here's the thing. Because you're going to have a child who will start the deliverance of Israel, he's going to be a Nazarite from birth. Now, the Nazarite vow is found in the book of Numbers, and we could go and it, it, it lists all the things. We're kind of familiar with the story, so we know um, no grape, no grape juice, no raisins, no wine, no strong drink. Don't touch any dead thing or defile yourself with any dead body. No razor can touch your head. Those are the basic rules. Now, most of the time, a Nazarite vow was for a specific time period. And then once that vow was complete and done for that time frame, you shaved your head and beard, if you were a man. Hopefully not if you are a woman. You shave your head, and you took that hair that was consecrated and dedicated to God, and you burnt it as an offering. Plus a few doves and a sheep and a ram and a few other things that you could afford. But the point was, this was to be a special thing. This was to be for Samson's lifetime. And he wasn't the one who was making the decision. This was a vow made for him. But the angel also said to Manoah's wife, you're going to also go through this Nazarite covenant because the whole time of conception through birth, like, there's no contamination. There's no chance of defilement even while he's in the womb. Because you see, the word for Nazarite in Hebrew is very closely related to the word holy. They both mean separated and consecrated. And so a lot of times we kind of forget that. We just think, well, don't cut your hair. Oh, but that, that vow had so much more meaning. And people who would walk by would see, oh, this is a Nazarite. They're spending time, energy, devotion to the Lord. And it kind of elevated their status a little bit, if you will. But it also let them know these, this person was serious about God. So Samson's wife was also, I mean, Samson's wife, sorry. Samson's mother was also supposed to be a Nazarite for this time period. And growing up, Samson knew what he was and wasn't supposed to do. Likewise, I think the nation of Israel, they had the commandments. They knew what they were supposed to do. They weren't the ones who were brought out of the desert. They weren't the ones who were brought out of captivity in Egypt. They weren't the ones who personally made the vow, but they knew what the vow was. They knew what they were supposed to do and what they were supposed to follow but they had never made that decision to follow God wholeheartedly their own. And I think that's a very 
stern warning for us as a culture of Christians that you could be raised in a family that goes to church and loves Jesus, but that doesn't make you a Christian. You can go to church every Sunday. still doesn't make you a Christian until you internalize that decision and make it your own. You have to possess it. So we see in Judges chapter 14, now Samson's a young man, and we begin to see maybe some cracks in his armor. And I think we get kind of familiar with the story, so maybe we miss some details again. So this is what it says in chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Tinma. Now go get her for me as my wife. This is very foretelling of the character and nature of Samson. He has seen a woman. His eyes have led him to a foreign woman. What was one thing that the Israelites weren't supposed to do? They weren't supposed to intermarry with the peoples of the land. Remember earlier, God had said, drive out all those people because they will lead you astray. They will lead you into sin. Samson, to be the judge, to be the ruler, the leader of Israel, to marry a foreign Philistine woman, a woman whose people had laid captive the people of Judah, of Israel. Something is off, something is wrong in the heart and the life of Samson. My first question is, why was he in Tinma in the first place? Here we have a point I think a lot of us miss. We get focused on, Dad, get this woman for me. I want her as my wife. Now, God was using this situation to start the freedom of Israel, to start Samson's rule. I'm not going to say that this is exactly God's perfect will. God used this. He was like, okay, I can use this as an opportunity. But the problem with what had happened, we know that as they go down to Tinma, a lion jumps out at Samson, right? We've heard this story, and what does he do? Samson grabs this lion, and with his bare hands, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him in power and strength, and he tears apart this lion, just rips him in pieces as you would a young goat. Something about the culture of Israel concerns me <laughs> that that was included. Like, oh, why can you tear apart a young goat? Okay, I, I don't know or understand quite why that was put in the word, but that's what it says. He tore apart this lion like you would a young goat. I guess it means maybe with not a lot of effort. So the problem is they get down to uh, the village and finally Samson says uh, he sees this woman again he talks to her and he liked her. Again, that's a phrase that kind of causes me concern. Samson wanted to marry 
this woman, and he'd never even spoken to her. Now, I get it. I was a young man once, a long, long time ago. Uh, and I've walked into a room, and I've seen a young lady, and I was like, wow, I kind of like to get to know her. But I never went to my dad and said, get her for me. I want to marry her without ever even saying hello, right? There's something wrong in Samson's heart and his life that he is looking for marriage in a foreign woman that he's never even spoken to. Marriage is a serious commitment, especially in the Bible. So much so that even though marriages were arranged, there was a spiritual significance to them that can't be overlooked. And Samson is just utter disregard for all of that. And he's being driven by his visual sense. He's living a sensual life of pleasure. He sees this woman and he wants her. Just so happened that once he talked to her, he found out, oh, I kind of like her. That's concerning. One of the other concerning things is we find out why he's in Tinma. There was, um, let me find the verse here, sorry. It is verse 5. Samson went down to Tinma together with his father and mother. And as they approached the vineyards of Tinma, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. As they approached the vineyards. Now, I had to read into this a little bit, so kind of bear with me. This might be the reason why Samson was in Timna for the first and most important time when he saw this woman. There were vineyards there. Samson's a Nazarite, right? He's not to have anything to do with grapes, grapevines, wine, raisins, none of it. Now, I don't know for sure, but maybe Samson was a little curious as he grew up to be a young man, and he saw this literal forbidden fruit. What's so bad about that? I see everybody else like picking grapes, eating them drinking wine I mean that's not really fair that I can't have that it wasn't my decision again I'm reading into this maybe at one time Samson had plucked a few grapes and was kind of juggling with them maybe he threw them at some kids maybe a little uh, grape juice got on his fingers and oh that's sticky I should take care of that Tastes pretty good. No lightning bolts. I didn't die. But maybe Samson's smart enough to know not to eat grapes in his own town, amongst his own people, because they knew that he was a Nazarite from birth. Maybe, and again I'm reading into this, maybe Samson went to Tenma because he thought he could get away with something down the road where people didn't know him. Maybe he'd been doing it for a while, going down, eating grapes, maybe having a glass of wine. 
Maybe he thought, nothing happened. I'm good. Maybe he let that alarm just hit snooze one more time. Well, if we read on the story, we know that during the ceremony, as they go back down, they pass by the carcass of the lion. And what does Samson do? Looks in there. Again, this is a little disturbing, but he sees the bees have made a nest. And he reaches into the carcass of this lion, and he pulls out some of the honeycomb. That's like candy, everyone. I know it's a little weird for us, but they didn't have grocery stores where you could buy chocolate bars or whatever. And he's got something sweet. Now, sure, he had to break another of his covenants to get it. But he looked around. He didn't see anybody. I mean, God made the bees, and the bees made the honey, so it's all good, right? I mean, God made it. So he goes in, grabs some of the honeycomb, and then he comes to his parents. Here, Mom. Here, Dad. Have some of this. As he's smiling, all along knowing that he had broken another covenant and got away with it. He had hit snooze one more time. So he goes down to the wedding feast, and he's given 30 attendants, 30 groomsmen. There wasn't 30 people at our wedding. (laughs) That's a lot of groomsmen. So Samson, he's like, okay, let's see what we can do. Uh, All right, guys, I'm going to tell you a riddle, and if you can answer it, I'll give you all a brand new set of clothes. But if you can't answer it at the end of the 10 days, then you have to give me this, you know, all these clothes. That was a lot of money back in the day, by the way. So again, he tells the riddle, out of, strong, out of something strong, something to eat, out of the eater, something sweet. Right? And it's like, nobody can figure that out. It's getting close to the end of his wedding feast. And so the groomsmen go to the bride and they say, look, if you don't get your husband to tell us what's going on, we're going to kill you. We're going to burn down your house with your whole family in it, and you're all going to die. So you better figure out how to tell him, or get him to tell you the secret, and then you tell us. Yep, we know. Samson's wife continues to hound on him, nags on him. Oh, you don't love me. If you loved me, you would tell me. And she reveals her nature that she doesn't want to die. Fair. I don't think any of us would want to die. But she doesn't really love Samson to this end like we would. He's a foreigner. So it's like, okay, let's take advantage of him. That's fine. So she nags him to the point that he tells the truth. And as soon as he tells her the secret, she runs to the groomsmen because she doesn't want to die. She doesn't want her house and her family to get burnt down. So Samson goes out, and he kills 30 men in the village and takes all their clothes and gives them to the groomsmen. In doing that, again, he broke that same covenant. Not just that he killed the men, 
but now that he had to touch the dead bodies to take their clothes off. And again, no consequence. I got away with it. I hit snooze again. I'm good. Samson's upset, so he leaves. We know the story goes on. The father of the bride gives the wife of Samson to his best man, thinking that Samson didn't want to have anything else to do with him. Eventually he goes back. Samson goes back maybe months later. We don't really know how much long. But he goes to see his wife, and his father's like, whoa, 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 time out. Uh, you left, and so we thought you hated us. So mm, we gave your wife to your best man. How about her younger sister? Huh? Huh? Good deal? Samson's like, uh, now, now I'm justified in my anger against you. And again, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he kills a bunch more people. And we know he sets the fire to the fox's tails. And not Andy and Adam. <laughs> real foxes. And they burn down uh, all the wheat harvest. Now, here, here comes the uh, amazing thing in this story. The groomsmen who were going to kill his wife and family are like, look what you did. They burn down her house and kill her and her family. Anyway. Samson later goes um, on to lead Israel from that point on because he's now killed many of these Philistines and the nation of Israel is like, hey, you did good. Let's make you our leader. And so Samson starts to judge and rule Israel for 20 years. Now, as a side note again, it's, we, we get an image of, of who and what Samson must have looked like, right? Long flowing hair, huge bulging muscles. The Bible doesn't give us a physical description besides having long hair. I, I, I was doing some research and I found that there's an, uh, a mosaic of Samson that's been recently discovered um, over in, in uh, the Middle East, and it was made at, at about 200 AD, so right around the, the early Christian church time. So again, this isn't like a Polaroid, because this is a thousand years have passed, but I thought, oh, let's, let's see what, what the ancient people thought of Samson. And it's a picture of Samson taking the gates of Gaza on his shoulders and taking him away. And you know, the only thing left of this mosaic is Samson's head with flowing locks, his hands holding the gate, and that's it. <laughs> like his entire body is totally missing. And I was like, darn it, because I have a feeling that maybe Samson wasn't this bodybuilder. Maybe Samson didn't have these huge bulging muscles. Maybe he was just a skinny guy. Maybe he was just an average-looking Joe. Because everybody was trying to figure out the secret to his great strength. Where did he get your strength from, Samson? How are you able to do these amazing things? If we see a guy that looks like he could bench press 50 pounds with his earlobes, you're like, okay, I, I get where your strength comes. It comes from your muscles. Even back in those days, they would have figured that out. But with Samson, it was a bit of a mystery. Where did his strength come from? This is important because we meet Delilah. 
we know about Delilah, right? Again, he saw her, and he entered into a relationship with her that wasn't a godly relationship. A Philistine woman, again, not from his own people, not following any of the laws that God had established for his people, especially the ruler of Israel. So Samson continues this relationship with Delilah. And what, what happens? The Philistines come to her and say, hey, get Samson to tell you the secret to his great strength. If you do so, we'll make you rich beyond belief. If you don't, we got you. So time after time, Delilah comes to Samson. Oh, Samson, won't you tell me the secret to your great strength? And he keeps on lying to her. Oh, you know, if, if you tie me up with new ropes, uh, I'll be as weak as any man. Well, she puts him to sleep, ties him up with new ropes, calls for the guys to come in, wakes him up. Samson, the Philistines are here. He jumps up, <laughs> breaks off these bonds, scatters all these people. Time and time again. Oh, if you, you do that. And finally, he's like, well, if you weave the seven locks of my hair into a loom, I'll become as weak as any man. She's breaking him down. She's, she's getting closer to the truth of the hair. Now, there's no strength in Samson's hair. The thing with Samson's hair was it was his last covenant of his Nazarite vow that he hadn't broken. And I think the reason why he hadn't broken that one is because the other vows, those are more internal. You can't see necessarily that I've defiled myself and touched a dead body. You may not be able to see that I've had a few raisins or maybe a glass of wine. You can't see these other covenants, but you can sure see my hair. And oh, appearances is everything. By looking at me, you can tell I'm a good guy. I come to church with my big Bible. You can tell I love Jesus because I've written it. Oh, you can tell that I love Jesus because when Jessica leads worship, I raise my hand. The appearance of keeping those vows was why I believe Samson had never shaved his head. Because he thought, if everybody else thinks I'm still following God, I've got it made. I can be lazy. I can be as wicked as I want and I can go down to Tinma and drink wine and nobody back home will know. Again, the life of Samson is reflecting the people of Israel and really a lot of our culture today. Many of us, maybe not all of us in this room, right? But we can understand how that attitude of appearance is so important. We want people to think that we have it together. We want people to think, oh, 
that guy loves Jesus. Or, oh, there's a woman of God if I've ever seen one. Because you and I can't see into a person's heart. We can see what's on the outside. So Samson has guarded this secret of his hair. And finally, finally he tells Delilah the truth. I'm a Nazarite. No razor has ever been on my head. If my hair is cut and I'm shaved, I'll be as weak as any man. I believe Samson said that because he knew that God was being faithful to him even when he was not being faithful to God. And this was his last vow. So again, Delilah calls out, shaves him, calls the guys in. Samson, wake up. The Philistines are here. Chapter 16, verse 20. Some of the most sad words, I think, that have ever been written in the Word of God says this. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He had become so used to and so familiar being outside of God's presence that he didn't even realize when the Holy Spirit wasn't there anymore in his life. He had hit that snooze button so many times that now he didn't even have to hit the snooze button. He just completely slept through the alarm and let it go and let it go. And it never even bothered him. A question for us today is in our lives, in your life and my life, would you know if the Holy Spirit wasn't active in your life anymore? Would you be able to say, like David, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me? Would it be a shock to us? Would it be like, Lord, oh, I've sinned. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, don't let your Spirit depart from me. Or are we so lulled to sleep in our sin? that we're just like, I don't even have to hit the snooze anymore because I don't even hear the alarm going off. I'm spiritually asleep and dead. Those are tragic and terrible words. He did not know that the Lord had left him. And there's consequence for that. Philistines grab him, poke his eyes out, put chains on him, make him grind wheat in the mill pushing a big stone which is something that they used beasts of burden to do like ox and cows he had become so affected by his culture around him he'd become so much like them that he'd given up on everything that was set before him. Everything that God had anointed him to do and given him power to do. 
But there's hope. It says, but even though they gouged out his eyes and set him to grinding, the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Hope, redemption, a chance. In prison, grinding away, Samson finally get it. This is the only prayer that we read that Samson ever prayed. In uh, verse 26, excuse me, not 26, sorry. Verse 30, sorry. Samson, placing his hand on the pillars, prayed to the Lord, Lord, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and the pillars came down. Samson prayed, and the only prayer we have is Samson praying to God, Lord, let me die. Give me strength one more time, and let me die. It shows us two things, though. It shows us, first of all, that, that Samson had repented. He realized the source of his strength. He realized that all those times that he thought he was getting away with something, he wasn't. But God was slow and patient and kind. God was long-suffering. It also showed us Samson understood and knew where his strength came from. That God is the only source of our strength. That appearances made no difference whatsoever. So our warning today, our snooze alarm is this let us not be so comfortable thinking that we're getting away with things that we hit snooze let us not become so impacted by our culture that we want to be like them in everything they do and say we are a holy generation we're a chosen people we are called to be different and stand apart from the rest of our world and follow after the truth Our story doesn't have to end like Samson's. Our story can be one of victory. I often wonder, oh, what could the story of Samson have been like? What, what great things could he have done for the Lord? How much more could he have driven out the Philistines? So that leaves us with that choice. We can be like Samson. We can hit the snooze alarm. Or we can repent and say, God, forgive me. I don't want it to come to the enemy poking out my eyes and, and making me grind like a, a beast of burden before you get a hold of me. I don't want to be so familiar with sin that I don't see your presence apart from me and recognize it. that I'm going to pray and invite the worship team to come on up as we finish. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this story of Samson. Maybe not one of the most fun stories but an important story. 
Because, Lord, I believe that it reflects who we are in our human nature. That too many times we think if we can get away with something that we will. Too many times we're led by our senses and not your spirit. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning confessing our sin. Asking you to forgive us. Asking you to set us apart from our culture. Set us apart from the people around us. To rise up to be that holy anointed nation. The heir of Jesus Christ. Let us be more like you. And Lord, when we hear that alarm, give us the strength not to hit snooze. But when we hear that alarm, let us respond to it. To say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Don't let me be comfortable in my sin. Don't let me be comfortable in my sleep spiritually. Let your Holy Spirit, let your presence in my life be so important, so vital that there's no way that I would notice if it wasn't there anymore. Be active in our lives today, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this body of believers. And we thank you for your son dying on the cross for us. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name.